scriptures with you today, if you would like to turn to the Gospel of John, to chapter 15, the first eight verses. We're actually going to be spending the next couple of weeks looking at the 15th chapter of John, a familiar text to us. Reading from the NIV, beginning with verse 1. The words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and and withers. Such branches, those kinds of branches, are, are picked up, they're thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We come to a new year, 2020. We come to the, the, and we have already stepped off of the precipice and and into what the Lord is, is calling us into in this new season. New vision, new energy, new challenges, new adventures. And so I think it's important as we kind of begin something and, and, and as we step into that, that we, we pause for just a moment and remember who we are and whose we are and remember in, that in that, how this bearing fruit plays itself out and what that even means. You see, from God's point of view, our, our purpose is really very simple. Just as a grapevine must do, the main purpose of our lives is to produce fruit. Even more fundamental of a lesson, we must never forget that the owner of the vineyard is in charge. In control. And focused on receiving as much fruit as possible from his vineyard. God is in control. How important is the teaching of John's 15th chapter? Remember the when of this passage. Jesus had just washed the feet of the disciples, led them through a a final meal, instituted the Lord's Supper, and now walked with them to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he'll, he'll soon pray, later be arrested. By the time sun finds its way to midday, on the very next day, Jesus will be on a cross. Jesus knew the timetable. He was, he was using care with, with every word, choosing them carefully. He knew 
the timetable. And, and just here, just then, he, he uses an object lesson from the garden. Amidst the olive trees was a grape arbor. The vines of that day were, were just beginning a season of growth. The signs that a gardener or a vine dresser had been there, however, would have been clearly obvious. The vines would have been tended, they would have been pruned, they would have been cleaned and, and tied to the arbor. And the season of growth would have been a season of care. It would have been a prelude to the season of harvest. The time was important. The ownership is important. There's a tale. I don't know if it's true. It's one of those stories. It doesn't matter. It's so good. I hope it is. It's a tale of an older woman who had finished shopping and returned to her car. As she approached her vehicle, however, she saw four men inside of it. The increasing crime rate in America had disgusted her. She had long prepared for this moment. She was concealed to carry. She dropped her shopping bags, drew a handgun from her purse, screamed at the men, I have a gun and I know how to use it, now get out of the car. They did not wait for a second invitation. Doors opening like crazy, bodies flying, four men running like crazy from gun-toting grandma. Well, despite her Clint Eastwood imitation, her dirty, hairy moment, the woman was shaken by the experience, understandably. It took her a moment to gather her shopping bags to get in the car, to control herself, to get her breathing down. She kept an eye out for the hoodlums, but they did not return. She put the gun back in her purse, got out her keys. For a moment, she thought it was perhaps her trembling hand. But no matter how she tried, she simply could not get the key to turn the ignition. Well, in time, she, she began to take a better look at the car, and, and it, it didn't seem as familiar as it once had. About that time, she, she noticed an identical car parked five or, four, or five spaces away and realized that she had just become part of America's crime wave as she had stolen someone's car. She transferred the groceries to her own car, drove to the police station to turn herself in. The death sergeant, whom she told the story, falls out of his chair laughing. He pointed to the other end of the counter where there were four very frightened men who were filing a report of an adult carjacking. After she makes a full apology, no charges were filed. The lesson... Be sure you know what you own or be prepared to be embarrassed. Be sure you know what you own. Verse 1 of John 15 is pretty clear. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also in you. I am the vine. You, Jesus says, we are the branches. 
There's no mistaking this principle. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. At, at the very beginning of the passage, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. My father is the vine dresser. He is the owner of the vineyard. It seems all of us are born with selfish instincts. It doesn't take long. If, if, we're, if we've forgotten that lesson, it just spend a few moments, some time, maybe a day with a toddler. A toddler learns a couple very powerful one-word sentences. No. It's mine. Have you ever been amazed at the feelings of ownership that a toddler can have? <laughs> if he gets his grubby little hands on an empty plastic butter dish or doesn't matter what mom or dad intend there, it's, it's mine. It's mine. It wouldn't matter if the object were a piece of trash or a priceless work of art. Once hands are on, ownership has been assumed and it is mine. How ridiculous, right? Little children can't comprehend the value of things. It's why we could save a lot of money as parents, especially in, in the younger days of our children, just to simply wrap up boxes for birthdays and for Christmas instead of the toy of the moment that maybe comes inside it. Children can't under respo understand responsibility or, or time or earnings or value, but they immediately understand the concept of possession. Mine. And we don't grow out of it just because we have a third birthday or, or by the time we have our 30th or our 50th or our 70th. It usually has a chance to kind of catch up with us, doesn't it? And how often I curl my fingers into a tiny fist and I say, but God, it was mine. But God, that was my good health. It was mine. I want it back. I don't like getting older. I don't want this disease. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the way I feel. I'm scared of this surgery and my options. I'm sick of the treatments. It's not fair that it costs this much. It was my health. It was mine. But God, I earned that money. I worked hard. Why did the business fail? Why, why did it have to do that now? That was my retirement, God. It was mine. But God, says the man beside the, the fresh grave, she was mine. But God, says the mother, staring into the empty room of the 18-year-old who was left. He was just a little boy. I liked him that way. He was mine. But God, says the young college student, this was my future. I planned for it. I worked for it. I went to school for it. I've made the promotions. It was mine. I don't want to change midstream and go somewhere I'd rather not be. But God says, the church member, I gave years of my life to that church. I gave thousands of dollars, blood, sweat, and tears, more than I could count. Now it's changing, and I don't like the changes. I want it back. That church was mine. It's my seat. 
Why are you sitting there, stranger? No, says God to the two-year-old in all of us. It wasn't yours at all. She wasn't, he wasn't, the church wasn't. You're not even yours. I'm not even mine. It all belongs to me, Jesus says, for I am God. From the moment God issued the first of his Ten Commandments, he has told us that, that he's a jealous God. That he would not tolerate other gods. That he would never relinquish his right to be who he is. And that is God. In the vineyard we find another opportunity to realize that God is in control. God is in charge. And I am not. And neither are you. We cannot find our purpose without realizing our place. Obviously, in, in a garden, the branch doesn't tell the vine what to do. On a farm, the plants don't tell the farmer how to get the job done. It doesn't work like that. Can you imagine a plant telling the gardener, no, I'll do it my way. No, it's the gardener who knows best for the plants that cultivates, that works, that cuts, that removes, that fertilizes, that prunes, waters, covers, sprays, harvests. For very good reasons. And a good plant just simply trusts the gardener to be the gardener. There may be no harder principle to put into practice for believers, for me, than this very first one. Because you see, we all tend to be control freaks. Some of us hide it better than others. The older I get, the worse I am at hiding it. I drive everyone I live with crazy because of my control issues. I drive everyone that I'm on staff with at this church crazy because of my control issues. Control. We feel better if we think we're in control, don't we? If four adults are in a car, usually at least three of them are thinking, I could be driving and probably a lot better and a lot better route and a lot faster. I now deal with that with my own children who are driving. Come on, Dad. When it comes to this spiritual notion of bearing fruit, the bad news is that the Lord demands that we release the one thing we think we have and that is control. There's no option here. You and I have no more right to tell God how to do his business than a plant has a right to give instructions to a gardener. It just doesn't work that way. So that's the bad news. We have to give up control. I have to give up control. The good news well, that means we don't have to carry the weight of being in control. What a relief. It's not mine at all. I simply have to be consistent and show up. Wow. We don't have to carry the weight of the branch. Our job is only to bear the fruit of it. 
You see, God wants as much fruit as possible from our lives. It's impossible to miss. Our job is not to carry the weight, but to bear the fruit. Of the major application points of this object lesson that Jesus gives in, in, this, in this chapter in John, this 15th chapter in John, was, was giving this one, is, it's, it's overwhelmingly simple. It's not easy, but it's so simple. Our purpose is to bear fruit. And the mission of our life is discover how we're going to go about that process. Title will change. Position will change. Health will change. We will get older. Knees won't work quite as well as they used to. But our purpose is still to bear fruit. And so today we have this excellent opportunity to ask this question if we dare to be vulnerable enough to ask this question, God, why was I born? This is the season to look hard at the question and to find the answer, if not already found it, and do exactly what Jesus asked. You were born to bear fruit. And that's regardless of title or position. It's who we are. It's less about what we do. Bearing fruit is a lifelong effort. Though we may have assumed that bearing fruit relates only to evangelism, it's an easy assumption to make, that this idea is not reserved for a single individual who might hear a person pray a prayer of salvation or, or the single person who, who might have the privilege of, of, of baptizing someone or, or leading someone into a relationship with Christ. You see, everyone in a church plays a role in bearing fruit. That's why we're put together in community. And it's my prayer that as we step into this new year and as we look at John, we, we would understand our, our role as, as a church, small c, our role within that at Benaroc Christian Fellowship, but our role as part of the big church, capital C, beginning with, with a vision for our community, for our town, and what that might be like to put aside branding and label and comfort and say, Jesus, you own it all. It's your church. We just want to bear fruit. Everyone has a role exercising those gifts that holy God has given us. And we all have them. People with the gift of evangelism have to be about their work of bearing evangelistic fruit. But what about the teachers? What about the gift of hospitality? What about those who are gifted to work with small children? What about those who, who work with older folks? What, a, what about the... The, the gift of meals, the gift of time. Bearing fruit. We all have a role. We all have a gift. It's important to have the right tools if we're going to have a fruitful life. According to the story a psychologist at Stanford University once tried to show that we live for productive results. This is a secular study. This is not 
person of faith. But the study is trying to show that we live for productive results or what Jesus referred to as fruit within our understanding. And this researcher hired a logger and said, I'll pay you double. I'll pay you double what you get paid in the logging camp. If you'll take the blunt end of this axe and just pound this log all day. I'll pay you double what you make, take the wrong end of the axe, and just hit the log all day. You never have to cut one piece of wood. You can, just as you would if you were logging, just do your thing, man. Double your salary. After a half a day, the man quit. The psychologist asked, why did you quit? The logger said, because every time I move an axe, I have to see chips fly. And if I don't see the chips fly, it's no fun. You see, Jesus didn't simply command that we bear fruit. He also promised the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we have talked about today, and and the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings us. Each of us has this distinct in the body of Christ. We all have them. And while some have the gift of evangelism, others have the gift of teachings. Some are, are, are natural-born leaders. Some, some, some are greeters, natural-born greeters. Some, some offer words of comfort. Some have the gift of counseling. Some are gifted in the area of administration. Bless those that are gifted in the area of administration. And the mix of gifts means that none of us should try to create a carbon copy of another's work. We don't have to hit the log with the wrong end of the axe. It's supposed to be fun. And I would suggest to you, if it's not fun, you might be doing something you're not supposed to do. God is not causing you to suffer in your ministry. We're meant to bear fruit. Or as the frustrated logger might say, if we find a teaching, a Bible study class to be frustrating, quit cutting wood with the blunt end of the axe and go do some administration, if that's your gift. Well, consider the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, 22. We talked about these way back in the fall. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. When we pull this off, aren't we bearing fruit? Jesus gives us the simple command, love love another way. That happens to be the first fruit of the Spirit. See, there's lots of ways to bear fruit. Titus chapter 3, verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for, for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Psalm 1, verse 3, He, the righteous man, is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Do we realize the joy of this? Every thought, every action, every attitude can be a, can be a good work, another grape on the cluster. By these things, Jesus is glorified. Bearing fruit requires this lifelong commitment of work and discipline. You see, no, no plant casually produces a lot of fruit. Instead, it's, it's a slow process. It's not quick. 
It's a structured process. It's a process that produces fruit in season. That's why self-control may be listed among those fruits of the Spirit, right? Perhaps it's at the top of the tree, the most difficult fruit to harvest is self-control. In every garden, in every vineyard, there's an opportunity to be discouraged. Weeds thrive. Insects infest. Mildew can flourish. Disease finds an outdoor home. And in every life, likewise, there are elements that can hinder the production of healthy fruit. It would be easy with all the negative elements in our lives to become discouraged in the vineyard of John 15. It would be easy to quietly think, I can't. There's, there's too much guilt. I've, I've tried it before. I've, I've, I'm frustrated in the search. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't want to bear anything anymore. If so, we, we have to listen to a wonderful truth. You see, if we let the vine dresser direct our path, we'll not be tired in the work of bearing fruit. We'll not be stressed. We'll not be confused. We'll simply bear fruit, and we will enjoy the process in the meantime. Have you ever seen a grapevine that was stressed out? Or have you seen a cotton plant that couldn't decide between producing cotton or bananas? Can you imagine a blueberry bush crying in her bedroom? Banging her little blueberry fist on the bed and I just can't do this anymore. I want to be a tree. These things don't happen. It's silly. Because plants produce fruit naturally. They have a wonderful, loving, guiding hand of the gardener. They don't have to do anything except what they were designed to do. Frankly, if we're exhausted in our, in our life's work, our life's ministry, we, we're probably in that wrong line of work. Healthy branches don't get stressed. They bear fruit. We may be trying to make bananas come up out of apple buds. We may be stressed because we're doing some unnatural work. Wouldn't we like to bear the right kind of fruit and not worry if we've got the right tools, the right gifts, the right timing, or the right calling? The owner of the vineyard doesn't want us to do something unnatural. He wants us to produce fruit naturally, and he's already given all that we need to do that great job that we were designed to. It's the Holy Spirit. Danny Simpson lived in Ottawa, Canada, 1990. Danny's desperate. He didn't have the resources he needed to survive. He's short on cash and even shorter on skills. He had run out of time. He'd run out of options. So Danny got desperate, and he took the gun that had been handed down through his family's line, this, this heirloom, 
went to a bank and robbed it. He made away that day with $6,000. Danny wasn't very good at robbing banks. He was pretty promptly arrested. And at the trial, two significant things happened. First of all, Danny was sentenced to six years in prison. His opportunities to succeed in life dropped to minute proportions. But second, as the courtroom looked closely at the evidence, folks really looked at the weapon that he'd used. It was a 45 Colt semi-automatic. It's the kind gun collectors look at with salivating stares. It was an antique, this gun. It's made by the Ross Rifle Company in 1918, and its value, about $100,000. Danny robbed a bank for $6,000, all the time holding a $100,000 rifle in his hand. In other words, Danny already had what he needed. Just didn't know it. You see, God is not going to ask us to bear a certain kind of fruit without equipping us to bear that kind of fruit. God has given us his word, his scriptures, his voice. So no matter the question, as we like to say in here, the answer is always Jesus. And the source is always the Bible. And we've got them both. We've got more than we need already. What we may really need is is trust. And And a reason to go back to this first principle from the first instruction, it's not about me, Jesus. It's about you. Jesus said, it is, it's about me. I am the vine. It's, it's, you're just the branch. Our Father is the owner of the vineyard, not, not you, Alan. He'll make the gardening decisions. He'll do the pruning. He's going to call the shots. It's his right because he is God and you are not.